We are recording live here from the Glenmore Landing. Um, good Earth. Good Earth. Good Earth I Cafe. Love, I love this place. It's so like bright and inviting and just cool. Yeah, no, I love the upstairs here. I, one of my favorite coffee shops to come because of the upstairs. And uh, yeah, so much sunlight, man. It's nice and bright. It gives a good vibe. And it's, it's honestly usually really packed here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only been here once before, actually. And uh, as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, I love that. I love that spot. That's really close to me, so win-win. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you're, you're like a Glenmore <laughs> yeah, area guy? Yeah, I'm in the yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Are you, well, before we, I guess, dive too deep into it, Kenton Edwards? Yeah, Kenton Dobrowalski. Kent? Edwards and Mendeley. Med- okay, yeah, yeah. okay, there you go. Confusing. Um, <laughs> all the names. Yeah, all the names. <laughs> <laughs> Are you uh, born and raised Calgarian? Yeah, yeah, I was born born in Calgary, uh, moved to Okotoks, a small town out of Calgary when I was like two. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of raised there, but I mean, when you grow up in Okotoks, there's not a whole lot to do. So as soon as you get your license or as soon as your friend has a license, it's off to the C train station to go yeah. get mischievous downtown Calgary oh. and learn about the, the city. <laughs> well, what about you? Uh, well, I actually... Um, I spent most of my life in BC. So I was born in Westlock, Alberta, okay, okay. Uh, north of Edmonton. And then my family moved to a little mining town called Cassiar, BC. Cassiar, BC. It was actually an asbestos mine. Asbestos mine. Yeah. Um, so that's where I spent my, my most formative years from about, I think, one until the town actually shut down. Um, the town shut down. How many people are in this town? Small. Uh, there was like a few hundred or a couple few thousand. Pretty small. Yeah there, yeah. there was like a school and, and a pool and stuff. Um, so, so my earliest memories are up there and then uh, so it shut down in the early 90s and we went to Vernon and then Kamloops and we just kind of hopped around the Okanagan until my grade 12 year and then my family uh, decided to move to Wainwright, Alberta. Wainwright, Alberta. That's a bit of a switch up, eh? <laughs> it, was, it was a little different. Uh, so I did grade 12 in Wainwright, um, went to Edmonton and did uh, general studies for a semester. Found my way back to Kamloops in BC, lived there for a few years, and then Wainwright just has like this magnetic pull. <laughs> Pulled me back there. I spent about a decade up there, and then I've been in Calgary slash now out by Bright Creek and uh, for eight years. Eight years. We made already a pretty big impact and stuff in, in, in eight years here, man. That's pretty cool. Well, <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know, man. Just try to show up every day and help people. Yeah, and, no, uh, I love that. It's uh, I love the Okanagan. I spent some time there. I uh, after high school and a little bit of university here, I went to to Kelowna to play football for the Okanagan Sun. No and way. that's where I met my girlfriend, Cheyenne, actually. And uh, I stole her back to yeah, Alberta. I brought my wife yeah. back from Kamloops. They so. did not like the first winter. She was like, how the hell do you guys still, do this? Still does not like <laughs> yeah, the winter. No, no. But she's actually come to love Calgary. Yeah. Almost, you know, it's her home now. She's come to me, you know what, this is my home now. Yeah. And I said, you know what, we actually get more sunny days then. In Kelowna, believe it or not, allegedly, just, yeah, just not the as most hot in Canada. All the time. <laughs> um, were you? Let me guess. Were you a cornerback or a safety? Dude, you guessed spot on. I was uh. a safety, and then I got really big and played linebacker. But yeah, safety. I was I was cornerback for a while and halfback, like defensive. But as I got older, kids just got real fast, and I wasn't the fastest. I liked to hit and stuff. So by the time I got to like the, the bigger leagues in junior, I realized, yeah, I gotta get big to hit people or run track and get faster. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I nailed that. <laughs> yeah, you nailed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You played a lot of sports growing up. I did. Yeah, I played one year of football, actually, Wayne, right uh, on the O line, and I don't, I don't know. It wasn't really my jam. I think if I would have started earlier, I would have probably wanted to play like tight end or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But just like hopping in grade twelve, had never played before. They just kind of threw me at left tackle and 
that was about it. So, yeah. but I played a little bit of everything. I did hockey, baseball, basketball. Um, I probably like playing basketball the most out of everything. Yeah, basketball. Is fun. We did. We play basketball. I like about that is it's so good for your footwork. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter what sport you play. Like it just increases footwork and ability. Totally, totally. And you're tall, so you're probably pretty good at it. Uh, I, I've got. I've actually gotten a lot better the last couple of years because I just, especially during COVID. Um, when we lived in Auburn Bay, I had uh, I had the paving crew come and like pave our whole backyard so I could just play basketball. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and then my son was pretty into it back then, so yeah, I've been pl- I definitely by far play basketball the most. And uh, but I had no handle, and uh, all I could really do was lay the ball up when I played. Fair, so you're <laughs> setting people up, man. Setting people up for success. That's exactly. an important team member right there, man. <laughs> um, which uh, I had. I had a thought. Something about the Okanagan and Cheyenne. Where did, where was she at? Or no, Okanagan Sun. Do you yeah. know? Um, uh, Carson Park. Carson Park. He he would have played there, I think, before me. Yeah, before me. And then I think he was a commentator on the. Oh, that might be why. That yeah. might be why. Probably butchered my name. Me? <laughs> <laughs> At least he had the right name. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my cousin, and he I oh, know no he way. played for the Sun, and then I believe he went and played college out in Ontario or something, and. And then I think he did some commentating for them, so I didn't know if you guys ever crossed paths. No, the name rings a bell, so maybe he did do some some commentating for the for the games. Yeah, yeah. Sports was a funny thing. Like I, I absolutely loved it, and I it's something like I was a hundred percent in. But I just kind of had a realization one day that like it's only going to take me so far. My body was already getting so injured and beat up, and it was kind of around the time I was having an epiphany that like music's my calling. It's what I need to do. It's what I've always been doing and getting gotten better at, but never really saw it as a viable thing. Um, and I saw so many people like really like going down on, on the sports like they had a plan and they wanted to go CFL special teams or some of them are getting like big college offers and I just I loved playing I didn't love the practicing I didn't love the commitment it seemed like work to me but yeah. doing music and things like that it didn't seem like work it's just where I want to spend all my time and so when I kind of made that epiphany connection I'm like you know what I'm going to save my body a little bit more because I need my arms to, to produce and stuff I guess I really don't but it helps well, it helps <laughs> it, it helps for sure uh, were you a, a band guy, a jam guy, a solo down in the basement alone guy? What was your sort of uh, musical upbringing? That was a little bit of everything. Like, so my dad is a he's a drummer, still is a session drummer. So when I was really young, I started taking drum lessons. Obviously, um, it was more forced in than, than uh, right. something I wanted to do. But forever grateful because like picking up the drums at such a young age and having that rhythm like it really set the foundation for music moving forward um i did like the typical band classes it was funny because once i got good at drumming uh, like every band teacher wanted me to play drums it was just like a given so i i made a deal with the one teacher in like grade six that listen i'll play drums for you guys on on, on regular band but you gotta let me play tenor saxophone for jazz band and i'll help like give the drummer other drummer some lessons so you were like deal. bartering early on <laughs> yeah bartering early on yeah <laughs> i was just leveraging the the little rhythmic ability i had to, to get what i wanted it's funny and then uh and then yeah i played like the typical typical band things um, you know the the concert band, the jazz band. Um, I enjoyed it, but I always want to rock out and be yeah. a bit more. You know, a bit, a bit less uh, white shirt tucked in and getting adjudicators to judge the music. You know, I just didn't really love that aspect of it. So I kind of like bowed out of regular band programming by high school, um, and that's really when I I, I came across production. Like uh, mm. I'm just like the I'm so fascinated by the creation of music, and I attribute a lot of like you know what I do love in music and stuff isn't even for me as a player it's for me as a listener like I was grateful to have parents and a, a dad especially listen to everything you know yeah. a record collection was thousands and thousands of records everything from you know eclectic th- 
things to, you know, reggae to rock to hip hop to the classics to, you know, some Dave's Matthews band, like just a little bit of everything. And so I just fell in love with, with music and just was very curious on the creation of it. I've always loved writing. Um, you know, in, in school I was really being into poetry. And so when I kind of bridged that all together that, oh, songwriting and music is poetry, and this is that, I was just started trying to teach myself about other instruments and how the production process works and things like that. Fascinating. It reminds me, like, I, I think while I've always been interested in music, I, I just thought I couldn't for some reason. Although I did beat rock band, or not rock band, uh, Guitar Hero. I was pretty, oh, man, I was pretty that, proud that's of myself. Actually, that's that. impressive, man. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, my dad had a lot of cassette tapes, and I was always fascinated, you know, with the music, but also the story behind the music, where the song yeah. came from, where the band came from. You know, I'll use the Guns N' Roses example, like how, you know, um, Welcome to the Jungle was like, they were ready to just like throw Guns N' Roses away because that song just like kept playing and nobody was picking it up. No one was picking it up. And so they just kept playing it on like the midnight rotation, I think, because they had sunk, you know, a million dollars into the band. And they're yeah. trying to just see if anything will stick. And then for some reason, it just happened to hit uh, after like a year or something of being out. And I was just always fascinated with like stories like that of like the band that almost didn't make it or like the artist that got discovered by accident like the garth brooks story or whatever and so i've just always really been fascinated with like how it came to be real if that makes sense no i love that i love that i think that's so true i think that's such an important thing you know for artists that really do want to make it music to study that the story behind because it can be it can be so solidifying too because you see so much like almost every band that made it was a band that almost didn't you know every every you know the 10 year overnight success story it's like people only see that tip of the iceberg but they don't the the years of rejection of I'm not good enough of you know of maybe I need to do something else of throwing things to the wall and not sticking to then like that one moment where everything seems to change it just clicks and there's I, I listen I've come to really enjoy listening to, watching, reading about Rick Rubin. And he, he, he just kind of talks about, like, there's just, like, a magic that none of us really understand. And it just happens sometimes. And you just, yes. the people who kind of just let it happen. And, it, and it's such a fascinating concept because, like, I, I would imagine most of these bands, artists, managers, people that have become super successful, they probably couldn't exactly replicate it. It was just the conditions and a little bit of that magic and perseverance and it kind of comes together and it's just it's fascinating and inspiring to hear those stories oh, totally it's totally and it shows just how important timing plays a role in things like the timing of things if you know one release came out one month sooner or later it might not have hit that you know level of success and it's funny you talk about Rick Rubin he's one of my biggest inspirations like I, I absolutely love Rick Rubin I'm reading his book right now oh, um, so good so good and it, it relates to anything in life like we all are creators and everyone is creative 100%. and life is creative you know from everything and when you start thinking like that it actually makes you a little bit crazy and obsessive because now I'm here looking at your mouse and like someone put a lot of time into the creative of that mouse and how it feels and it's like that's <laughs> similar with music and I think that that's just so beautiful is exactly that it, it's something that can't be explained and it shouldn't it, the music speaks for itself and it's that, that magic you know is is being open and susceptible in the you know environment to be a vessel for the music to let the song talk to you and tell you what it needs to yeah. you know do something simply that sounds good do you ever listen to uh john craigie i'm not sure if i have actually oh he's like a kind of like a folk type artist and he opened for uh jack johnson on a tour and uh, I really like his stuff. He's actually my favorite live album ever. Is, really? Is one of his. Got to check that out. Yeah, send that to me after. Yeah. I'm a big Jack Johnson fan too. Yeah, and it's, 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 his music is really, it's kind of Bob Dylan-y, I guess, if I had to compare it to something, but he's also hilarious. Um, so it's <laughs> like, 
you're actually listening to it and laughing as he's like doing his little interlude like just a master performer um but the, the one song he does with jack johnson i don't know if it's a cover or not but it's where i know it from and uh he says something along the lines of in order to give people chills you have to give yourself the shivers first do you have that moment as a musician where you're just like oh shit that came out of me like i created that riff or that sound or that note or something yeah no i, I will have that and i'll have that especially like the exciting thing is when I'm producing is if I'm working with other session musicians and there's a lot in the room and, you know, we're like, try something this way or, you know, I have a, a, some crazy idea to experiment with something and then it works and it's that magic moment. And it's like that, it's that undeniable thing in the room of like when something works, it works and like you don't know till you try, but when you got it right, it's like just nod your head and like, hey, that's it. Like that's, that's, it. that's how it needs to be. And that's exactly right. Like I feel like it's so easy to get into making music especially because it is a competitive industry and if an artist is trying to make some money then they start thinking a little bit more commercial of okay what are other people going to like but to your point like you got to like it as an artist yeah. you got to like it it's you got to be selfish almost with the art to the point that like you really like it enough that you want to share it with the world but then balance that with understanding that it's kind of one for you one for them like if you really are a musician artist you are a performer you're almost like a gesture like it's your now job to entertain the people um, to, to give them kind of what they want in a sense while still being true to yourself and I think that that's really such a fine balance and that's where the magic lies of being authentic but also being able to relate to so many people right 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 love that what how do you how do you um, how do you manage that I guess when you're supporting other artists especially like helping them tap into that zone of their own we'll call it genius or their own creativity versus like creating something they think someone else might want to hear. Yeah. I honestly think it starts too with like, if I'm working on a project um, and like for that whole week, I'm trying not to listen to anything that's like it. Cause I'm trying not to taint my ears. I'm the day I'm doing a project or something. I'm not listening to anything. I'm driving in silence. People think I'm crazy. Like, aren't you a music producer? I'm like, yeah. Like why are you listening to music? I'm like, cause it's my whole job, man. I want a little bit of silence now. I got to, you know, refresh the ears. Like and cleansing so, the yeah, palate. Almost. Exactly. So yeah. you go into it, not trying to replicate things or not trying to like take too much inspiration from something else. It's about digging deep and having things just kind of come out of you. And I think that really, uh, how I help artists tap into that too is without going in like preconceived notions of, of what you're going to say or what you're going to do is like starting with nothing and just cooking up whether mm. that's grabbing a guitar and starting to put some chords together whether that's putting on a beat and having to start freestyling whether that's I got a you know a really cool session drummer in the room I'm like try different grooves until we start feeling something and it happens organically and, and I think that that's really where the magic happens and getting the artists out of their own head so many times you know an artist who's, who's absolutely amazing um, they have no confidence. They don't. They don't have. They, they don't think they're amazing, and they're scared to try things, and they're scared to make a mistake. You know, they put so much pressure on themselves. You know, for example, a vocalist where they'll sometimes play it safe because they know they can sing really good and they know they can hit that note. Where I'm like pushing, like try to do something super vocally exciting that like would be super hard to replicate. Try to do a cool run there. Try to like push an octave you haven't hit before. Mm. Just try. It. Even if you make a mistake, I want you to make a mistake because then you're gonna brush that off and have some fun with it. As soon as you start having fun, that's where the magic happens. When it's easy and you're not thinking about, oh, we have to make the song after this next one it just starts happening yeah. and it's like being in the zone you're playing live or something when you're playing a sport you're in the zone as soon as you start thinking I'm in the zone you start losing it I'm out of the zone yeah, I yeah. do that sometimes if I'm drumming I'm like oh I'm drumming really I'm on beat like oh wait am I on beat and then you start thinking about it like oh but then it's sometimes if you're just in the zone the magic's happening your body's just a vessel things are just moving and it's happening yeah. it's getting into that you know ebb and flow of the creation process and so every artist is different but it's really about getting them comfortable 
Um, and just having like conversations that start to get them a little bit vulnerable, open up and, and have something impactful, like an impactful story to tell and making music based off of that, not just, oh, this is cool and sounds good and people will like it. It's like right. there's got to be something deep in there. I, and I would imagine as an artist, if your biggest hit was just something you made because you, you, it was a trend or you thought it would be something that could be successful or someone would like, I would not have near the fulfillment of like creating your art. Totally agree. I totally agree. I think that, and I think that has to do to it, like with, which is how the industry is now, with like songs blowing up, say overnight on TikTok and things like that. And it's like people are, you can create something that's going to do really well on TikTok, but the strategy behind that wouldn't be like creating a really deep, impactful, emotional song. It would be, what can I capture people's attention in the first thirty seconds? What's something familiar but still unique enough that's going to excite them? Like. But, like, when you can write a song, you just put your heart and soul on the line, and you're like, you know what, I don't know if people are going to like this, but I really like this, and this is meaningful to me, and you release that, and you get good reception, and that does really well. I, I totally agree. I think that's way more impactful than, you know, having a millions of streams on a song where you just followed a trend. Yeah. I've actually thought of that, too. Like, you know, if one day, let's just say through the podcast, you had something that really hit and got, like, a million views or whatever, and it, it was... I don't want to say stunted, but maybe orchestrated or like specifically towards something like that. I think the challenge on the other side of that would be then people would expect you to replicate that. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I think just tapping into that, like, I I don't know that I would want to replicate that. I just want to create my, like we'll use the podcast example. I just want to create this. I want to have great conversations I don't want to all of a sudden be boxed into like, oh, you do this thing and then you just have to create it, create it, create it, create it. I, I don't know. That doesn't actually, that doesn't look that interesting to me. And you see people on TikTok that are doing that. They had like a couple of videos that were successful and now they just keep making some version of the same thing. And I don't know, just for me personally, that feels like it would not be enjoyable. No, for me personally, I, I agree. And I think that that's the thing is it can take you on you like... We live in a world where content's crazy. Content is king. And so a lot of artists especially now feel the pressure to make all this extra content. But I even know artists where they've, they're making TikTok videos to promote their song, but now their TikTok's blowing up, but not even for the reasons they want. It's either for like maybe an outfit they wore, or maybe a cool dance they did, or maybe because they hopped on a trend, or they said something funny, and now they're an influencer. They're less of a musician, now they're an influencer. Well, and that doesn't necessarily translate into a conversion or a sale no, for, the for their business. Yeah, exactly. Because right? exactly. at the end of the day, the thing to remember, if you are a musician and that is your profession, you, you have to make money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. it's like a million yeah. people watch your YouTube video and you get zero streams, zero album sales, and nobody's going to your shows out of it. Like, what do you have? What do you have except for some, some smoke and mirrors numbers? And I think that that's really you know the, the heart and soul of where the industry is is who you can bring to a live show like who's right. going to show up to see you live it's you know you see artists that get millions and millions of streams uh you know and their social media is bumping but then you know they can't get more than 100 people to a show um and i think and that it is hard to get people to go to stuff yes yeah extremely hard right especially when they don't know who you are um just the general state of the world you know we're coming out of a pandemic um so in some ways like i think if you're at a certain tier people rush to go see but then there's like this whole sub tier where it is excruciatingly difficult to get 10 people to commit to and show up to watch you perform totally totally and that's where i think some of the social proof comes in too that's you know once you figure that out you can be leveraged is that people want to support what's doing well Mm -hmm. in a strange way so like 
you reach out to a bunch of people with a brand new song, you're like, oh, please go share it, stream it. Like, oh, they maybe send you a message, say, yeah, I'll check it out, but probably nothing will happen. Yeah. You repost that same thing and be like, oh, I'm almost at a million streams, you know, this is doing so well, now everyone's going to hop on that train and want to come help you. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you're trying to sell out a Calgary show and you're just a Calgary artist, a local Calgary artist who's only played Calgary, good luck. If you're a Calgary artist, but you just played a show and I don't know, Germany somewhere at a festival and you come back now you're going to get more chance to get people I'm fascinated by that particular phenomenon because it's almost like and and you know this is something that I've talked about with some of the different artists that I've worked with it's it's like you you have like a home crowd that'll come and cheer for you and, and they're there to be relied on but to get really big even in Canada I would say you have to get big somewhere else first yeah and then it's like it's almost like a hero's journey like you build yourself up and then you got to go out you got to go through it and then maybe you'll get welcomed back with like open arms yeah and then you get the support that you just always need as an up-and-coming artist like right? you get rich and famous and everyone starts giving you free stuff it's like well where is this when i needed it you know it's like i can pay for this now it's fascinating to me yeah. that but it, it, it's very real yeah, it's very real once you figure that out you can start to navigate that you can build your strategy off of things like that you know and you get people involved that understand that and now have connections into other areas to get you shows and things like that like that and, and being strategic with that I think it's really easy for artists to just like get a show opportunity to take it because they think they should be playing shows but it's like to me a live show is a marketing opportunity like for if you're sure. just going and playing shows or playing shows and half your sets covers and you throw in a few originals like you're not going to have the same conversion make fans like you would if you're playing a, a show because you just released your own album because you know you want to like I think it's important to have a, a deeper meaning to the shows as well yeah yeah what's what's your pulse on the uh, the Calgary music scene currently I mean you're in it yeah, I think honestly, I think it's, I think it's great. Like, I think it's honestly a bit overwhelming for some people because there's there's just so much going on, but there's not really a central hub. You mm. know what I'm saying? Like, there's not like to me at least. There's a bunch of amazing things. There's like Music Mile. There's the Stampede. There's all these other festivals. There's you know a, a, a huge country scene here. Folk but there's fest also and folk sled fest, Island. Yep, sled Island. But then you also get um, like some great like like Latin festivals, Mexican festivals, like some great world music, Afro-Cuban music. You know, you get all these things. It's just such a big mixing pot of things. But it can also feel a little clicky. Like there's like the country crowd. There's a hip hop crowd. But I feel like Calgary still like it needs a star. It needs a who's like like. Toronto has Drake. You know, they're almost obsessed with Drake. Yeah, it's yeah. like, but who does Calgary have? There's some great artists that have come here. You know, Who's the Tegan biggest artist? Well, is it here. Tegan and Sarah? Are they the biggest Who's, artists to come out of Calgary? Tate McRae's not from here, is she? Isn't uh, Tate McRae from She's know. from Canada somewhere. Is Joni Mitchell from here? Yeah, I think she's from Canada. I don't know if oh, she's from Saskatchewan, here. Saskatchewan, maybe. Yeah, yeah. There's a, Canada's a poem. There's a, a really a successful or underground kind of a independent American record label. It's called Secretly Canadian because mm. it recognizes that like, so many great artists have come from Canada. Because it's cold and there's nothing else. To yeah, do. there's nothing else to do, <laughs> and there's less, less, less population, so less competition. Huh. What, what do you, what do you think it'll take to? I don't know if unify is the right word, but maybe bring the Calgary music scene, you know, a little closer together. Because I, I mean, I find like I'll just use Jack Harlow as an example. We love Jack Harlow, and all he really ever did was say he loved us. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And I think that's what it's going to take. I think it's going to take an artist, like, like a mutual, like how Calgary can can gear up and come together for like a Calgary Flames game right or, mm. a, or a Stampeders game I think it's like you know something they can all rally behind with a common goal and I think that that's you know 
the, the blueprint of what makes a great successful artist is are you able to captivate a city like do you have a strong enough not only music but message that yeah. people want to relate like who are you as a person those are the things that people connect with an artist and I think that you know for Calgary especially an, an artist coming out of the woodwork that you know embodies a star but when they start getting the success they're not instantly oh I want to go to Nashville I got to go to LA I got to go to Toronto it's like I want to take maybe it's going to be a little bit harder but I want to put put my city on put on because then they'll give back to you is that like a little bit of trying to follow a blueprint versus create a new blueprint that's true yeah yeah I, I think well I think really what the blueprint secretly tells us is everyone who's made it made their own unique way i think that's the biggest thing is the blueprint is find your unique way easier said than done obviously <laughs> obviously, obviously like what happened in seattle like i mean that's not that far from here no. um obviously a different culture different you know it's the u.s and stuff but like that's a music city and the sheer amount of like big bands that came out of there i also think of like seattle as being a, a city that has a lot of resources at their disposal um with the tech and everything calgary has a lot of resources at, it dis- at its disposal in terms of you know potential investors and things like that but yeah i just wonder like what happened there and i know a little bit about what happened there but like could calgary have its own version of that at some point where you have all this talent that kind of gets rises to the surface somehow and who's sort of the linchpin that makes that happen totally totally and i think it's i think it's starting to happen and i think that you know the higher ups you're going to call it in calgary too like even you know from a political standpoint is they're trying to make it less of just an oil and gas town and more you know there's a lot of stuff happening in the tech sector there's a lot of stuff happening in the film sector there is a lot of stuff I that's mean, true yeah. cowboys music festival and the stampede brought in some major acts i mean you know like some of the biggest acts in the world came through and were like, here. like right now not acts from the past but like, like right now yeah right now yeah yeah, and it, granted, a great example is Jack Harlow, and it does. I was at the Ice Cube show, and Ice Cube, you know, dude doesn't bullshit. <laughs> you know, he's dead serious. <laughs> this is one of the loudest <laughs> crowds. You know, sorry, excuse my language, but uh, you know, that one saying, I'll probably have to bleep yeah, out. Sorry, my bad. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but at the Ice Cube show, you know, he's saying just how Calgary has such an amazing energy, and it was you know one of the most receptive and loudest crowds that that, that he's been to on that whole tour. And I think that says something that that Calgary wants to be known. We want people come to have a great time and embrace us as being you know an exciting, energetic city totally 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 did you uh did you have a chance to see my uh my buddy uh mark play no i didn't make it in time, didn't make yeah, it no, in time? No, but okay. i heard it went really good yeah, yeah 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 they had a good run and that's a big crowd you know that's yeah. that's an exciting time to be there did you see him play at our event yeah Is he there yeah 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 that's right what did you think of that with the studies and everything? great man great yeah. it's such a for a good cause too you know what i mean and i think it was a, a great group of people and it's just cool how you're able to tie in all these things, you know, that you did the podcast there before, you know, and then you tie in the music aspect and the community aspect and the, you know, the, the philanthropist aspect of giving back and raising money for things. I think that that really embodies what music is about too, about feeling good and community and, and connecting. Thanks, man. That, that was, it can be difficult to see how all these things come together sometimes, <laughs> but, uh, you know, especially this last little while, it's been like, okay, how do I connect these dots? and uh you know give back do things that are meaningful and help people and uh, that's sort of the lens that i've been approaching everything from yeah and what a great lens to approach things from it really is it becomes like a chess game of how do you get all these pieces to fit thinking multiple moves ahead but then being able to be on the balls of your feet and call an audible if you yeah. need to to change you know to like following such like a, a strict regimen and plan in this industry is sometimes like difficult like you gotta reassess you know you gotta it's it's you gotta always be reading the data but then also like being unique with the strategy and trying new things and you know being fine to just pull a 180 and try something different well and I, I think if I've learned anything as well you have to be there <laughs> like you can't uh, 
there's only so far you can get, I guess, on Zoom and talking about it versus like being out there. Like yes. you have to, and and when you say like Audible or like just on the fly, like where the real stuff is happening, like that's when, that's when you got to put all that stuff into practice. I mean, you know, just even with the studies last week, we had a show that got canceled like two nights before, and um, you know we have a lot. A lot goes into planning a 33 show tour across five six provinces oh uh, can't even yeah yeah a lot. <laughs> and a lot of logistics there a lot of logistics you know you got to get three people basically all the way across canada for you know over a period of three months and you know just like boom the show's canceled and it's like okay now what and i mean luckily you work with someone like earl who uh is just such a pro and such a vet and has so many people that he knows we're able to adjust and find another venue and had probably ended up having an even better show um but it's like completely on the fly and it's it's from being in there knowing people and then just like being able to make those adjustments um that i just have so much respect for it because like you can't it's one of those things like you just you can't replicate it unless you're actually in it living it and like all in yeah it's experience you can't no amount of money can just solve that sort of problem it's, it's about who you know and experience and building real genuine relationships takes time it takes a certain type of person to be able to you know have an adversary like that you know when you're planning your show something cancels to not just get into a negative you know hole about it and be able to okay how can i flip this to a positive how can i use this to my advantage and, and find something else you know and that's being able to do that i think is you know a great example of what it takes to be someone who can make it in this industry in, in any capacity, whether it's an artist, whether it's a producer, whether it's, you know, A&R, whether it's management, whether it's, like, Whatever. anything. Yeah. What is your definition of success in, in this industry as it relates to yourself at this point? Man, I've actually put a lot of thought into this um, and reflecting on it um, and dancing around the thought, too, of is this, is this an ego thing or is this, is this, you know, just truly what success is to me? And I, and I, and I think it's the latter, but it, it really is a legacy. Mm. It's 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 being it's leaving an impact. It's one day some kid discovering an album that he loves and f- who produced this and reading my name and then reading about my story and being inspired to go follow and to do something himself. You know, like like Rick Rubin's done for me. Like to, that. Like I feel like if, when you die and people talk about you, you, you haven't died. You know, what I mean, like it, it, it almost satisfies you. And I'm not saying you have to be like a legend or top dog, but just even impacting a few people which i know i've done and you've done you know like that's really who i touch in this in this world in a in an emotional way um you know who you leave an impact with who you inspire um i think that really is what what success is Mm, i love that yeah what about you yeah i mean i think creating impact and and i think i understand i've talked about this on the pod before like Ultimately, we can't control what other people may or may not think about us, right? So for me, it's about, you know, getting better all the time and and trying to show up and be the best version of myself. And I I genuinely just, you know, I aspire to help people, including myself. And for a long time, I didn't have myself maybe in that category. That's probably one of the biggest shifts is like, okay, in order to maximize my help of others, I need to help myself first. Absolutely. Right? So... Yeah, it, it's just showing up with, with, you know, kindness and empathy and humility and as corny as it might sound, just trying to leave the world, you know, leave a, a mark on the world that is positive and uh, hopefully inspiring. Yeah, no, man, I relate on that. And I don't, I don't think it's corny. I think that's just, I think it's true. And I think that, especially in, in an industry like music where 
you know, you get so many personalities and everyone come across, come across as, as so confident and things like that. But really, there's so much struggling. There's so much mental health stuff. There's addiction yeah. issues. There's the imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough. The constant rejection you face. And so it's it takes people coming in, being kind, being empathetic, understanding that to, to really boost these artists up. Sometimes all an artist needs is a little bit of confidence, a little bit of validation. Someone which, to believe you know, in them, yeah. you know? What, what's your view on... Uh, on haters and, and particularly in the music industry because I mean I think it's one of those things where no matter what no matter how good your art is no matter how much time you spend creating something the best case scenario is probably going to be a 50-50 or call it a 30-30-30 where you got like 30% love it 30% hate it and 30% that don't care how do you how, how do you look at that whole landscape when it, when it comes to creating and, and the reception of it that's a great question I I'm going I'm to actually say something that Rick Rubin has said is that you know good music should divide and not in a way that's like go start a war but in a way like he said like if you really make something authentic and it's real art it, like then some people should hate it some people should love it you know what I mean if you make something that everybody loves it's probably the most cookie cutter pop song of all time and yeah. still some people are going <laughs> to secretly hate it you know what I mean like, <laughs> like, it's going to get say, they may be singing it but deep down they're going to be like how is this hypnotized in my head and I can't get this yeah. earworm out yeah. um, so I think that you know, first of all, if you have a bunch of people, you know, hating on you, you probably have getting like it's probably not a bad sign for there's some traction and people are listening to the song. There's also the whole argument to be made of people that really play that card, people that want negative press, people like that act out. I think you know, Kanye is a great example of that about kind of playing into being the bad guy or the villain and, and mm-hmm. no no holds barred about it um, because like publicity's publicity and things actually like there's even that Jason Aldean thing that's happening now his song is getting tons of plays it's a marketing play but here's the thing he's got to sleep at night with all these people now thinking he's a bigot or things like that right like so there's that trade off of it's, it's at your fingertips you know to, to have a song you know blow up in, in a certain way but it's like do you think they cost. intended to feed that machine with that song I wonder I, I feel like some executive was smart enough to know what they were doing and know that that would cause like if you get it, like, because that's what news outlets and stuff love. No one really loves a positive story. You don't read many positive. They love a negative story. That's what it's, it's messed up, but it's true. And so when you can feed into that, I'm not saying it's a positive thing to do, but it's not saying it's not going to work. Well, no, I read a, I did a, I had master class. That was one of my things a couple of years ago. And I watched a video about storytelling. And it, I don't, I'll paraphrase. It was something like a positive story is written with uh, invis- might as well be written with invisible ink or something because like <laughs> nobody gives a shit yeah yeah <laughs> um, it's true I mean I, there's a reason why the news outlets write things the way that they do um, I always have this like little example and I think of my mom's business and they make beautiful custom anything you can think of they specialize in things like curb boards uh, but every day they're posting boards yeah that's cool that's yeah, really yeah. cool okay I gotta talk about you that after as a Ukrainian here from Saskatchewan and the family's from you know love you some cribbage beyond, beyond <laughs> a beaten path uh, .ca uh, but I'll, I'll hook you up we'll, uh, we'll get you we'll get you going on the curb board but they can make anything and they post all this beautiful work all the time and you know what their most viewed shared and liked post of all time was what someone stole their flowers and a bunch of stuff from in front of their store and I mean, it's a bummer and it sucks. And like, obviously people were like passionate about it, but it was just, it was so enlightening to me just how people are, right? Like you can put this beautiful, great, positive stuff out in the universe day after day after day after day. And it's like that one negative story and everybody's like pitchforks up ready to, Yeah, maybe that's like the online part, but it, I don't know. It just sticks in my brain is like, that's what people gravitate towards. No, absolutely. And, like, I think for your point, too, is you hear about that all the time. And it makes you wonder, too, because it's like, 
yeah, like especially you know, like a mom pasta or something happens, they're not. But then like someone breaks in and steals something. Now that goes on the news and Facebook. Now everyone rallies to support. Now they're busier than ever. And it's like that negative kind of turned to positive because of the press. And I think that's kind of the way people look at things, too. But now as an artist, again, it comes to like the same thing of if you, like you were saying, if you made a song that hit all the criteria of being a hit song, but it wasn't like authentic to you and it did really well, how would you feel? Like and that's the same with marketing music. You know, you, you marketing in an authentic way is so much purer than just trying to go viral. Or what 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 is marketing in a pure way because I'm, I'm this is um, I, I mean I'm sure you have and, and I know I have you know you work with some of these artists and bands and like there's no reason from a skill or sound perspective that they shouldn't be being listened to charting on the radio but they're not <laughs> yeah and you know despite following maybe all the best practices that exist it seems very much like the music industry, like a lot of other industries, there's a pay-to-play element, and there's, it's really hard to get around that, especially for people who are up-and-coming or maybe don't have the means or the resources. Yeah, it's an unfortunate fact, and it's something that I've you know, just had to come to realize the more and more I've been in this industry is exactly that. Like, People see a song that they think it's doing so well, they're seeing this billboard everywhere, everyone's talking about it. To me, I just see they're spending the most money, they have the biggest pockets, and that's how it works. And But like, I still truly believe talent will rise to the top because, you know, somewhere out there, there's some, you know, crazy uncle that sold a company that wants to support, or there's some, you know, retired oil and gas executive who wants to buy the tour bus for them and it's like you trace every story there's almost someone with money that comes in the picture at some point to really make it happen the hero yeah or the other way is you get sucked into the whole label thing and you know we have a whole other conversation on that it usually doesn't end very well and I mean I'm all about the independent artists these days I feel like an artist can build their own label and team around them with the right people and have a way better chance of success well and that's the interesting thing sort of with the decentralization of labels that's occurred over the last number of years anything that a label can provide to you I'm not going to say everything but like generally speaking some version of that is available in the open marketplace now yeah um, but the catch is you still need money yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> right like that that is the one underlying thing and it's like any business and I think the more an artist can tap into the entrepreneurial mindset, the this is a business, how am I going to grow it uh, approach, you know, that's where, that's probably where the success lies. And success is not going to be putting up Justin Bieber or Shania Twain numbers necessarily. That is 1% of 1%. Yeah. But to be able to create a living and make an impact and do your art on a full-time basis is probably more available to a lot of artists than they realize. Um, but I, I'm curious if you agree. And then I think the second part of that is I do find a lot of, like, it seems like everyone wants to take from the artist and not support and give to the artist. And it's, it's, it's a weird, not a weird, it's a, it's a tough dynamic, I guess. No, no, dude, I think this is, this is something really deep to explore here. I think it's also the thing of, like, an artist putting themselves in a CEO position. Like, if you really are the founder of the CEO position, you're taking on the brunt of it. You're, you want to work for, as soon as you become a CEO, you work for everyone else. Your first employee, your first client, you work for everybody else. And now you've got to support them. You've got to support, you've got mouths to feed now with them. And I think that the true artist really is that. You know, Beyonce is a CEO. She runs that, she runs that, that, you know, a tight ship with everything. But she's responsible for how many people's salaries and things like that. And how many people just, you know, you know, not take and take, but, but mouths that she's feeding and things like that. And I think that it's that fine balance with artists of, 
everyone's going to want to take from them and realizing that, you know, if you're really, really talented and really, really moldable, then, you know, somebody might want to put up a bunch of money behind you, but now they got ownership over your music or you're in a, in a contract that you don't like. Well, and I love the point you just made, like just because you're a super talented musician and artist does not necessarily translate into being a good or proficient CEO. <laughs> no. Uh, so who you surround yourself with, who you entrust who you work with becomes exceedingly important because it's not that you can't be a great CEO. And I think of it this way, like you, you've just spent, let's say 10, 15 years on your art and perfecting it and becoming a master at playing guitar or singing or whatever. Being a CEO takes a similar approach, yep. right? And, and so, and the label thing, like that's like the first time someone ever read to me a 360 deal, <laughs> I was just like astounded. eh? How do these people sleep at night when, like, these are the deals that I they know. make? I know. It's, it's extremely messed up. You hear countless stories of artists that at the end of their deal, not only do they not own their music or can't really go create more music, but also they owe the label money. And that's what I'm saying. But if you look at, like, starting a business, right, here's the other thing that I think is so important for artists to understand. It's, like, you can't be scared of money. Mm-hmm. If you're going to start, like, I don't know what, 20 to 50 grand, if you're talking to CEO, that's not even that big of a business loan. You're going to school. You're going to go to school for four-year higher education. That's going to rack up. So, like, artists shouldn't be, like, well, those are numbers. 20 to 50 grand, like, let's just be real. That is that is not a lot of money. No, it's not. But artists, but for an artist, $100 is a lot of money, 1000 So getting out of right. that mindset of realizing spend money to make money, but also the fact that, like, I, like when I was reading the number, like, if you... If an artist had a million dollars right now, they could break into the industry. They could. With the right connections, with a million dollars, they could, with one song, they could probably be really successful with it. My only counter to that would be, and I've thought about this a lot, like if you take a million dollars of capital and you have a band and you have, you know, some people to help you with your social media, like you have sort of a team, let's just say a team of five to ten people that 10 on the high end five is sort of like the the minimum you would need and you pay people sort of market or something resembling market value uh, to live million dollars and then and then the marketing because that's where the money really has to go so like in my mind you got your upfront capital capital costs around you know making sure you have your equipment you have uh, you know all the assets you're going to need to perform and do your thing that, that that's going to be a bigger number than you think um, and then investing in marketing, like, what do you think is a healthy marketing budget for an up-and-coming band? Like, t- to rise above the noise, that that alone in a year is is going to be in the six figures. Oh yeah, that's 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 true, that's true. Yeah, I I'd say that million standpoint really is just coming from marketing budget. That doesn't even include. Yeah. I'm saying a million dollars. You already have a great product and a great team on it, top. You know what I mean? So you're right. Yeah, the number is scarier. But then what happens is like not saying every band that's ever made has had a million or more in capital it's like they've gotten unique they have a good story behind them that's selling or they they double down on something like that that's happened or there's a shift it's like these these moments of being able to read the trends but then also like knowing who your fan base is and building that fan base and something really that stuck out to me is i think i might even had this conversation with you before is the the thousand fan thing yeah that really to make it if you have a thousand core fans a core fan is someone that you can get a hundred dollars out of the year if you think about doing it right like you release albums you put on some shows you have some merch like shouldn't be that hard to get a hundred dollars of a core fan over a year it's a hundred thousand a year that's a livable wage sure and but but that's also like like almost just making it you know what i mean like but well, then when what's your cost of acquisition exactly, to get those thousand fans exactly that's the real question like building a thousand core fans is it's it's not it's not an easy thing and you see these artists too now they're like the biggest income they're making is from their patreon 
yeah. is from the, these like small niche group of people that's supporting. It's almost doubling down on a smaller niche. It's almost an easier tactic than trying to appeal to go viral and have everyone love you. Well, and have you have you read uh, any of Seth Godin's stuff? Um, he's like a marketing dude, um, and he had a book. And he, I don't know if it's his theory, but he talked about any business. It doesn't really matter what it is. Twenty percent of your customers will support eighty percent of your revenue. Yes, I've heard I've heard that thing before, and, and that's and so that, true. And and the music is the same thing. And, and when you start to look at it from a business lens, and it's like, okay, like let's let's just say you have ten thousand followers. That's a round number. How many of those fans are going to spend zero dollars supporting you? Because uh, you know most of them are probably going to spend zero dollars <laughs> supporting you, right? Yeah. They followed you, and that's it who's in that like zero to $20 bucket. And then you've sort of got like that 20 to $50. And then you're going to have that, those super fans, like you said, that maybe they go over a hundred dollars a year to support you. Um, but then w- how do you get more of those super fans? How do you get more people in that, let's say 40 to $50 a year. And then you start to really understand like the mechanics of it. And, and you need maybe a million followers to get 10,000 people that are actually going to invest into your product or your business. Yeah. And uh, I think it can be overwhelming. <laughs> it is overwhelming because like, how are you going to get a million people to follow you? How are you going to get in front of a million people? Um, but I think when you have those goals and you understand just the basics of, of it, of the, of the business side of it, then you can start to formulate strategies to do that instead of just like, oh, I'm just going to post videos and hope that one of them catches someday. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, a, it's about strategy behind everything. And I think that it's like, it's more tangible than people think. Everyone wants like an easy way or to pay a bunch of money and get a million followers. But like if you actually put the time in day after day to create, you know, creative, cohesive content, to tell a story, to do it right, like, you know, it can build organically. It just takes time. Most people don't want to, like, if you just keep putting the time in day after day, you have that consistency. You can do that. Like, that's really what separates people who make it, the people who don't, is the persistence. Well, yeah, and I'm gonna, I might even be countering the point I just made a little bit, but just thinking out loud a little bit here, like a thousand followers that actually give a shit about what you're doing and are following you because they're interested in, in what you're doing is a hell of a lot more valuable than paying for, yeah, you know, 50,000. Yeah. Cause it doesn't do anything for the buying. It just, it's just a number that looks good. It's some more social proof. Like, but here's the thing. People are so you like the over, the general society now I think is so used to being sold to. They're so sick of it. Everyone's so sick of scrolling and getting an ad for something. Everyone's so sick of getting swarmed with everyone's new music and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, finding unique more organic ways to approach people and stuff is really where the secret lies but that's the thing is like everything's just getting so overdone everything's so oversaturated is it 60,000 songs get uploaded Something to Spotify like every I think it's even at like 100 at some point you know I did the math of like I was because I was curious about this um I don't know the exact numbers, but there's well over 100 million songs out in the world, okay? If you were to listen to, like, say an average person lives to 75, 80, and you listen to music six to eight hours a day, you'd only be able to listen to, like, I think it's between two and three million songs in your whole lifetime. And how many songs do you listen to more than once? And so that honestly makes me a bit depressed. I'm like, shit, there's so much. I'll never get to listen to all the music in the world. It's impossible. Never. It's, it's crazy. So, like, how do you fight for that? And then the other crazy thing is, like, a lot of the artists I work with are in the top 10% of Spotify just for having over 1,000 streams on their songs. Like, there is a, a, a crazy, I didn't even understand it at first, but there's a crazy amount that Spotify released some statistics, an overwhelming amount of songs that had zero streams. I'm like, who releases their music? and doesn't even listen to it. But then I realized there's a lot of experimentation and stuff happening on Spotify. There's a lot of non-music being uploaded. There's a lot of people trying to trick the system and just upload a 30-second little soundbite and then put on a bunch of playlists and just try to make money off of it. There's like, all kinds it's all of changed, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Podcasting is very similar. I think a couple of the statistics that stand out is um, 90% of podcasts don't make it past 10 episodes. Um, Because, yeah, we we often are in, like, we get the analytics at the end of the year, top 10% of kind of everything. And I don't know that our listenership is, like, out of this world, but we're consistent. We've been putting out, you know, episodes over time. And it's a grind, man. Um, But I don't do it for that. I just do it because I really enjoy it. And I find with podcasting, like, getting reasonably proficient at it, I think. But it's just such a great way to connect with people that I just love doing it. To your point, like, it doesn't feel like work. No. No. No, not at all. And it's something that's, like, you can share that. You can share that. You know, for example, like, I can reach more people now if I share a podcast like this with them and they can get to know me a bit better and without me having to repeat my conversation to a bunch of different people. You know what I mean? It's like an authentic way for people to connect with you as well um, and just hear great insight, which I think is such an important thing, you know, in, in any any industry is hearing people that have done it and just like this solidifying thing of like you're not alone. Like, it's such like a lonely journey being an entrepreneur, being an artist. And so just knowing that like, you know those feelings of you know depression anxiety and and that's normal and it's like that the roller coaster you're on is normal and there's other people that can support you and talk to you about it there's mentors and people that have been through it and come out the other side successful and it's just like again like a a solidifying thing when you can find those people and it helps you keep pushing totally totally what um i'm gonna put you on the spot with a question what are your top three favorite end to end i usually just say one but i feel like you got a list top three favorite albums that you listen to end to end that is a great question one that comes to mind right away um i don't know why this album just impacted me so much and one of my i go back to it often but it's a uh, modest mouse mm. good news for people who hate uh no bad oh, i forget the name good news for people who hate bad news or good news for people who hate good news okay I yeah. i've never heard it it's, but a, it's a it's a it's is a is that where the, their main hit came from was that one or i don't even know i think i don't even know i think float on was on that one but it's just okay. it was just just the songwriting the storytelling it's something that just clicked to me from a young age and just made me like music's one of those things where if i feel a certain way like the butterflies in the stomach they're like oh i feel like a main character in a movie listening to this because i'm relating to the lyrics so much like that sort of feeling is just such a, a magical yeah you thing that just kind of captures you um another one that comes to mind is mac miller I'm a big Mac Miller fan. I really liked his mixtape Faces. I oh, listen to that cool. a lot, and you kind of get a look inside the dark mind of an artist who's really like in it and battling their their demons and their thoughts, but also is like a, a crazy smart person. That's you know, there's so much good in there. And I felt like that was a, a, an amazing uh, a project. I, I, for me personally, I think Circles is one of the greatest albums ever. That's where I was gonna go next. Yeah. <laughs> Mac Miller again, yeah, because it's like that. Other, yeah, it's such a and just the story behind it, like hearing after he had passed, just the, the the other producers that were involved, and hearing how like Mac, he was just such a professional. He would show up like just by himself to the studio, bring stuff. He was trying to learn instruments. He played like the drums on Good News and things like that. Just here, like that. He's just a, such a real artist. Um, and I just yeah, I remember way back in the day when like. Uh, he had first come out and he has like YouTube video of senior skip day had like under 60,000 views. And I was like, just sharing the heck out of it on my Facebook. And I was like, so you were in right away. Oh, so right I, away. I didn't, I can, he's kind of not, I don't know. I missed the early part. It was actually after he passed. And then I got circles came out kind of right around then just after, I guess. And that was like, all in and then i've kind of gone back since and listened to everything yeah and it's just such a powerful thing and also it gives you kind of chills and it's a bit dark but it's like i think that's the legacy thing too is how many artist projects do better when it's post-humorous i mean how many projects get so much attention because an artist has passed away yeah 
Yeah, you think of Biggie with um, his second. He only had two albums. That's a crazy thing. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Just the impact that just not even that much work can do. You know what yeah. I mean? Just a few. Like, there's not really that much Biggie material versus Tupac, who probably had like ten albums just sitting there. And there's a bunch of mixtapes and stuff. Yeah. Who do you think is the greatest rapper of all time? It's a tough question, man. It's, it's different on different things. Like, as a straight lyricist and, like, a billion wordsmith and stuff, I still think Eminem's up there with, like, just, like, what he did for hip-hop and stuff like that. But then, like, I don't know, you get, like, the the Little Waynes who, you know, had a lot of impact and stuff. You got the Biggies. Um, but, like, MF Doom and stuff like that. Like, there's just so many that it's hard. Like, I feel like... You know who's an underrated, unbelievable lyricist is uh, Royce Five Nine. Yeah, Royce the Five Nine. Yeah, he's on a few. What's uh? There's a song he featured on as a, as a when I was a teenager. I listened to all the time. I forget what it was now, but yeah, no, that is that's true. He is a. There's a same with a Loop Fia, Lupe Fiasco is another yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are kind of on like the peripherals because I mean, Lupe was with Kanye kind of yeah, in his yeah. camp, and then Royce is kind of with Eminem. Um, I, I think Biggie had the best flow. Yeah, his flow is undeniable. I love Biggie. It's just so smooth. Like I, if I had to pick Biggie or Tupac just to listen to, I'd probably pick Biggie. Just I pick like Biggie all day. I mean, I, you could argue probably Tupac had the bigger cultural impact. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think just pure flow rap, I, I take Biggie. Swagger vibe. Just yeah. like, yeah, he's a, 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 it's just, he had that X factor. Now that Tupac had that X factor too, but there's some just so relaxed about Biggie and so natural yeah. that he really didn't give you know an F about anyone else or if you liked him or whatnot. Like it was just, yeah, I like I like that. And and then like I also got a lot into like you know the heavier stuff, like you know like the gangster rap stuff, like Ice Cube, like you know Mob Deep, like Fifty, 50 Cent. Yeah. I love Fifty. Uh, Fifty's still one of my favorites. And just him as like a business person, he's so funny and he's so smart and like. He's just a, yeah, I think he's someone who's done well for himself and that, you know, especially people in the hip-hop industry and stuff, he's someone that you can kind of look to that's, like, done well for himself. Got out of, like, the violence and stuff and really turned himself to, like, a, a badass businessman, but also... Have yeah. you read his book? Well, he's got a couple of books, but um, he did uh, the 50, 50 Law or the Next 50 Laws or something like that, all about, like, business and stuff. It's really I gotta good. read that. I actually haven't read yeah, that. No, I'll have to read that one. And I think it was in that one where he talked about... Um, he didn't want to put many men on the album. Really? Yeah. Uh, Dre, like, kind of pulled rank. <laughs> like, you're putting it on there. Uh, because the tempo was uh, slower than the other songs. And yeah. he thought it would, uh, wouldn't fit. It would not be one of the bigger songs. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, In the Club, obviously, is the biggest song on that album. But I think Many Men is probably one of the most... I think it's the most memorable. Like when I many man, like that. Man. Yeah, many 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 many. Yeah. Death on me, Lord, I don't cry. No. Yeah, it's super catchy. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the whole like, because when you know the story behind it too, like th- that actually happened and things like that, and the you know the skits leading up to it on the album and stuff, like it makes it impactful and makes you puts you in that moment. You almost forget how big Fifty was. Yeah, because like we're up in Canada and like Fifty was. Like, I remember Chris Rock talking about, like, 50 getting shot up at, like, the Oscars and stuff. Like, 50 was just everywhere yep. for, like, two years. Yeah, totally. And he was, like, right on with, um, you know, with Pop Smoke when he was born up. And, you know, he did some stuff with, like, Takashi and stuff. Like, he's been in tune with the industry and what's going on. And, yeah. like, isn't afraid to call people out, which I love, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say DMX is right up there for yeah, me, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't forget about DMX. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's some... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I've, I've, I've rocked out many times, especially like when we're talking like pregame stuff, like locker room stuff or lift weightlifting stuff. Like yeah. that stuff was definitely on rotation. <laughs> they took that song off Spotify. Did uh, they? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's like the ultimate like walkout. Yeah. Song. Did Conor McGregor used to walk out to that? Someone did. Someone but, uh, probably multiple people did. Oh, I'm right? sure. Yeah, How yeah. many people had that in their head when they were walking out? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. It, and his story is crazy too. Like, um, I just watched a video on YouTube. I'll share it with you after this, where Jay Z talked about uh, one of the this big tour they did back in like '96 or '97, and he was the headliner. DMX was on before him, and then it was like the Locks and Method Man and Red Man, like just all that was like the who's who of artists. And yeah. He said like everyone was good, and then DMX goes out, and he came out to that song. And then he just had everybody just wild. And then by the end, he had everybody crying. He's doing, like, his prayer and stuff and just, like, put on this unbelievable show. And he's just standing there going, like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Like, how do I follow that up? It would have been so cool to see, like, that. Yeah. You know, like, experience some of the artists that, I mean, we love but probably didn't never got to see live and in the moment like that. Totally, totally. Because I feel like it's all changed. I feel like even with live shows now, like, things are so different you know with just how live shows are put on and you know i'm not saying that things have gotten lazy because amazing shows happen but it's like i feel like some of the authenticness has been lost you know there's a lot of backing tracks now there's a lot of so much of just letting the crowd do the work and just kind of jamming out your own song and i'm talking mostly hip-hop with bands and stuff it's a bit different but even then you know with the everyone trying to perfect their live show and have backing tracks and stuff i still feel like if you're a hip-hop artist you can have a dj play beat and you go just right off the cuff like your real vocals like that's so much more impactful if you make a mistake or something like it's realer it connects you to the audience and i always like that from a from a viewer too is like i want some risk i want mm. that there's a chance that the band could mess up that makes it real and exciting well you're not there to see karaoke musician. right like, no, exactly yeah. you're not there to see backing tracks like i'd rather a band and i always feel like too like I always take this into account when I'm producing is what are they wanting to do for a live representation? Like putting that thought process in while you're producing a song is important because when you, like a lot of these, you know, bigger productions and stuff, there's so much extra layers that go in and double tracking guitars and all the harmonies and all the synths and other things. But so it's it'll like never sound like yeah, that. Exactly. And so yeah. I think just doing a really good rendition of your song live is even more impactful. Like the Grateful Dead, how many people, you know, the deadheads that go to all their shows and you get them my favorite performance of this song was the 88 at this place like no I liked when they did it and it's like you know there's like yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. you can get more of a, a cult following excitement from your fans if it's if it's different each time not just a perfectly timed cued up backing track auto-tuned show in yeah. my opinion I'm on that opinion too I mean I I'm a big I don't know I, I was I was in the early days of the pop punk scene I guess uh, I always loved Blink-182 but like if you go back and listen to those early records like not a lot of musical talent. <laughs> a few bar chords and some, yeah, yeah. But I love it. <laughs> yeah, and it's catchy and it's authentic. Yeah, I'm a, I was a big Blink-182 Blink fan. Travis Barker's one of my favorite drummers for a while. Yeah. Travis Barker. On that note, you said something earlier and it reminded me of something I saw online where it was, I think it was showing like Tommy Lee drumming and it's like what people think is hard in drumming and him doing all this crazy stuff and what is actually hard and it's just like someone keeping time. Yeah. Uh, as a bit of a, a drummer, like, can you explain that a little bit more, or like, give some insight into that? Yeah, totally. Well, I think that's like really with drumming. You're the you're the foundation. You're the beat, and it's so easy to want to, you know, play the drums like a guitar, where it's like you're throwing these licks and stuff. But like, and this is the same with like speed. Like, it's almost easier to play a fast song than a slow song. But like, just keeping a funky boom, tap, boom, tap, boom, tap, and. 
and have them feeling it, right? And just it driving and consistent. Like that's, that's difficult to just hold, to lock that down consistently and hold that groove. Because you can play, anyone can play a beat and it can be charted the exact same way. You know, just this typical boom tap beat where you're playing, you know, eighth notes in the hi-hat, one and two, and then kick on the two and four, boom, tap, boom, tap. But like, you can play that so many different ways. You give that to Steve Gadd, you give that to Tommy Lee. Everyone's going to have their own groove, their own rhythm, and finding what that is for you as a drummer, I think, is the hardest part in locking that down. It's it's easy to do fills and drum as fast as you can for a period of time. What's hard is to have something consistent and hold that for three and a half minutes. Right. What What is it about Travis Barker and his style that speaks to you so much? Is it just like how sort of... I think it's just the... He, he's so like... Um, the the traditional aspect of him as a marching band drummer comes across a lot. There's a lot like his uh, his ability, his rudiments. Like he's very technical, mm. but he doesn't like it, it. It grooves, and I just think that's impressive. He's just a beast of a drummer. The energy he brings. Watching him when he was in that accident and he played a whole show with one arm, like just that tenacity of like that's what a drummer is to me. They're like the the energy of the band. Mm. I was talking to someone the other day about Limp Biscuit. <laughs> it seemed to come up more in my life than I expected at 37 years old. Uh, but John Otto, like, a lot of John Otto. I think it's John Otto, yeah. their drummer. Their music is way more, like, drum-infused or drum-heavy than I thought it was. Yeah, it's true. Like, it's really, like, the soul of their sound, other than Fred doing his thing. And But, like, it, it was just more drum-heavy than I remembered. Yeah, I learned that with a lot of music. And this is something I've, I've, I've realized, too, and... You know, some of my mentors in my life have, have explained to me too. But it's like people are only able to focus on a few things at once, and so really, what becomes most important. And this is actually a funny study. Is like if you put on like just backing tracks of drum beats at a low volume at a dinner party, people are just gonna think it's a song that they want it to be. If you turn a mix really quiet, what sticks through? The kick, the snare, and the vocals. And mm. it could usually in most music, like popular rock, hip hop, pop. R&B, it's like usually almost all music that has vocals. The vocals are prominent. If you turn it really down, you start turning up the first thing you hear is the vocals and then the rhythm. Mm. You know what I mean? In, in certain types of music. And so that's really fascinating to me is like that does become the most important part of the music is the groove, is how it moves you. Um, what the drums sound like, the tonality, the, the you know frequency spectrum that it fills up. And then everything else kind of just like shapes around the song. Um, but to me, yeah, an amazing vocal performance and a really solid rhythm and that doesn't have to be drums you know some songs it's just percussive some songs it's rhythm guitar you know and some music and folk music it may not even be the drums but the the rhythm and how it muses you to me has always been more important than a really cool melody or something like that like the melody gets stuck in your head but i feel like the the way it moves you is what gets stuck kind of in your soul if that mm. makes sense yeah yeah i love that love that well this has been awesome yeah, it's been a it has been a blast, bro. Chat <laughs> with you all day. Yeah, 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 yeah. another four hours, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Well, on that note, what is uh, what is your favorite song to sing along to? Oh, man. I don't... Here's the thing about me. I can't sing. I'll admit it. I've been trying to get better. <laughs> it's funny because I'm, I'm a songwriter. I do a lot of writing with the artists. And it's funny because the most frustrating thing that happens for the artist is, like, I'm, I've helped write the lyrics I'm like sing it this way and I try to sing it that way I'm like hey wait no no and like hear it in my head exactly how it should be and then I you can't, can't sing do it across so I like try to play it on the piano like this and then they're like they'll try and they'll try it and then finally the artist will be like okay you're actually throwing me off you stop trying to sing it and I'll just like play around with it till I get something you like um, but I think like some of my favorite stuff if I'm going to sing along to stuff is like 
stuff where everyone's singing along. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like not We Are the Champions, but like. That's funny. That's exactly what I was just thinking. <laughs> but those Anthony. Yeah, those Anthony ones. And then there's like songs too that like I just know. Like there's some hip hop songs that I've just I just know. Like today was a good day by Ice Cube. Like, I can just do that. You know, minus a lot of the words I'm not allowed to say. Um, I do a lot of the other ones that I can say. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that. So like there's certain songs where I just like can get in that mode, just like you know a character and just enjoy you know rapping or singing along to it are you like a car singer or? yeah yeah sometimes mm-hmm. when i'm alone you know if i get really into something the funny thing too is a lot of like i like to try to sing along to stuff i write with the artist because like I, I i like when i write music i like it to um, like feel good when it comes out like i don't know if you like something i've done with music especially production is really like strip apart and study what great songs what makes a great song what do they do the, the the techniques they use and then just like how the song is written and there's always these moments about creating a moment in the music and so as a performer or as someone singing along it should like be inviting those words those vowels should like feel good coming mm-hmm. out of your mouth and so sometimes i write when i write music i like to kind of sing along to that um but then as soon as the session musician or vocalist lays down the proper vocals i realize yeah i can't sing this song anymore yeah no that's all i can't sing this one anymore <laughs> Awesome. What about you? You a singer? Uh, not a singer. Um, I, I joke around at, at home, and I'll do a uh, Axl Rose or Steven Tyler impression, <laughs> and nobody enjoys it. It's it's almost like a threat at this point. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, I do this thing sometimes, and it drives my mom crazy. And I don't know. Maybe I'll stop doing it because it's kind of a dick move. But uh, when we play cards, we, we play a lot of uh, rummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I will always make sure to play at least one ODB song. And uh, she hates it so much. (laughs) But I mean, you know, he's kind of... What's your thoughts on ODB? Because, like, he was crazy. But, like... And some of his stuff is absolutely, like, horrible. But, like, also amazing? Yeah. I, I agree. It's one of those. I think that's with a lot of like, like, like. Uh, even if you study some of like the greats and stuff, there's like there's some crazy stuff. There's some like you know disturbing crazy minds, but then also like the experimentation and stuff that can come out. And so I think that's you know a testament too of like an artist. Like no one song defines you as an artist. I feel like artists can get stuck in that trap of they put so much thought to release something, but it's like you can release a song that you talked about, you know, a breakup five years ago, but then you're no longer in that breakup. I mean, your relationship doesn't relate, but it did in a space of time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the thing that people, especially people that become fans of ours is like not to judge an artist based on just one song or something they said, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the time it's, and a lot of the time too, I feel like artists are playing the devil's advocate. We're being a voice for something. that's not necessarily a direct representation of us and our thoughts. Right. Have, have you watched the Wu-Tang saga? No, not the, not the TV show. No, I got to see what's left of them live though. At, uh, I think How was, was that? I think it was at uh, Center Gravity. Oh yeah, in Kelowna. Yeah, yeah. There was the was, was Meth there? Yeah, Meth and Unrebel. Oh, I think were there. there. Okay. I think, yeah, yeah. I think both were there. Actually, it was wild. But no, I haven't. I think I started the series, but I probably started at like nine thirty on a weeknight when I oh, just yeah. dozing off on the couch. So it's something I should probably get go into. back to it. You'll yeah. appreciate it. I, I particularly like the story around ODB because um, it kind of shows it shed some light on sort of what happened shimmy shimmy yeah. Yeah. a dirty bastard man he's a yeah I think uh, I think so many artists are just so misunderstood too you know there's so much like it's like a, like Shakespearean you know it's almost tragic the lives of some of these people but but we find it you know I'm not humorous but it's almost like a joke but it's so true like even the 27 club and music and stuff like this but it is just like riddled with 
with issues and stuff. And I think sure. that that's such a big aspect too is more talk around that, more talk around less about the controversy and stuff and more like the real stuff. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fascinating topic. And I think when it comes, it's so easy to judge. Like it's so easy to judge ourselves. It's so easy to judge others. It's so, you know, in today's culture, it seems like, I don't even know if it's just today's culture. It's just like in general, judgment of yourself and others is like the easiest thing to do versus like actually understanding. Because like no person is the best thing nor the worst thing they've done or said no one um and it's complex and people grow up in these situations and it's not an excuse it's just like i don't know maybe just growing up in certain ways gives you a perspective on things but um yeah that's probably a whole other that's another that's another episode that's right another there episode. bro absolutely <laughs> but no what an awesome conversation man like thanks so much for, for having me on and for making the time for this I, we're gonna do some great things together brother yes sir i'm looking forward to it and if uh, anyone wants to learn more about you the artists you're working with where can they head yeah hit me on my instagram kenton edward um i, I got a, i got a website up too. um my spotify playlist um but yeah social media is a great place to find me absolutely wicked any uh anything dropping soon from your artists or Cheyenne Summer got some exciting things in the works with her some really uh, really cool music being being written and created and just just want to make like a, a classic album man like like the, the old school approach of getting in the studio with session musicians you know practicing it live off the floor a bunch of times till you really nail it in like taking your time with it you know that's my favorite thing you got your lifetime to make your first album and then like you know a year to make your second so it's like really embrace that journey and so we're able to do that with shy right now and it's been it's been fun just trusting the process just getting your hands dirty and, and trusting the process it's my favorite part of it that's awesome we should uh, line up a pod with her too at some point here let's do it Be let's awesome. do it absolutely all right brother take care all right much love bro